1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
0: Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Set up an installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for twelve months. Restrictions apply
1: über den Asphalt als wär's sein Rhythmus als gäb's sein Lied
0: das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen
2: zieht Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And well, that's it. Domestic football comes to an end in Germany. Uh, So we'll today be discussing the Pokal final and obviously the promotion relegation battle as well and how that went. When I say we, that means I'm not alone. And joining me, as always, is Manu
0: Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, Bryce, I'm I'm getting better. I've upgraded from two crutches to just one. So I'm slowly starting to walk again. So that's a huge improvement in my life. Because you know, you can kind of carry things again, which is nice. But yeah, pretty good. I'm very excited to talk about all the football today. How about you?
2: Yeah, not too bad, I must say. Um, it seems like no length of time ago we were just excited for football to be back in Germany and, and now it seems to have just disappeared once again. But uh, I suppose we've got the European competitions as well. They'll be coming up uh, in a few weeks' time and we'll be discussing that. And I'm glad to hear that you're getting better. You're one step closer every day to getting back on that bike, eh, Manu?
1: But uh, joining Manu and
2: I, um, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you?
1: Right, so very well, thank you. Um, Busy week for me, um, but yeah, lots of football and it's all over for, well, four weeks and then we go back to it again and then it's over for four weeks and then we should be into a brand new season. It's going to be like nothing ever went wrong, hopefully.
2: That's it, we can only hope, and yes the football um, has went rather smoothly, hasn't it? As we discussed on the last podcast, it's been a successful return uh, for the Bundesliga, and it is the first uh, of the top flights uh, to finish its season. So this weekend we've seen the cup final, the Pokal uh, Bayer Leverkusen taking on Bayern Munich. Uh, We did think going into it, maybe Leverkusen are just crazy enough to, uh, to upset the apple cart here, and and a spring a, a surprise victory against Bayern but nope Bayern were just too good and they've been very impressive haven't they in, in recent times and many there, there was no shock here whatsoever um the scoreline was 4-2 uh, which means that you you probably think oh, that's fairly close but Bayern just looked so good didn't they
0: yeah they really did i think that if you want to, if you want to beat bayern you have to have a perfect day at the moment because they're just it's just so clinical in front of goal and they just make very few mistakes. And when they do mistakes, you have to capitalize on them. And I think that my summary of the match report was, and I I chatted to Chris when when this entire game went down, is really that when Bayern have weaknesses, you have to be there and you can't offer them an inch because they will take a meter. And for me, this entire game was Really about Bayern Leverkusen mistakes. You can, you can really sum it up. The fact that they went down, um, by two goals. Yes, the David Alaba free kick. I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, please go and watch it because it is, a fantastic free kick, but you can't really afford to, to get him into that position in the first place. And then when you, when you are managing to, to get on the board, um, I think for me the sequence and I'm really curious what Chris thinks about all of this too but for me the sequence before um Bayern made it 3-0 is really quite telling in in how this entire match went you know this the fact that Falland misses <laughs> misses an absolute sitter in front of goal and then Robert Lewandowski shoots one from I think it was 20 25 yards and Kadecki ha- has a bounce off his chest and then underneath his pants and then rolls into the goal and that in some ways that entire sequence summed up the game for me because Leverkusen are a very good team and they are on the day they can challenge anyone in the world. But it's just for me, they make too many dumb mistakes for lack of better word, And I feel like we sound like a broken record in this, but it's just like, it's not quite there. And then when you on top of that, it's it's always like they make the wrong decision in the final third Moussa Diaby and Chris you love him but he gets into that final third so many times but he just doesn't make the right decisions yet and maybe that's yet to come but for me in that game you could really tell that Bayern Munich were a finished product at the very top of the game and Leverkusen are a very talented team but not a finished product at all
1: Yeah I do agree with that Manu and I think it was as a neutral watching the Pokal final. It was it was a great watch, first of all, because especially the second half, it was end-to-end at, at one point. But you have to look at, and, and no disrespect to Bayer Leverkusen, because under Peter Bosch, they, they do play exciting football. But you have to think, on another day, um, would another side have, have made better of their chances? Because... Bayern, for all their dominance in the league and for all their um, experience, it's still a little too easy to get in behind their their high um, wing backs, which it's it's a risky it's a risky way of playing football. You play with high wing backs, then occasionally teams are going to get in behind, um, and it depends how your defence sorts out what gets in behind. And there was a couple of examples where uh, Leverkusen opened up Bayern, but the the finish was poor. I know you mentioned you know the volley chance where he almost falls over the ball and how Leverkusen was that where the ball is almost cleared upfield um it drops to Robert Lewandowski who takes what is a brilliant shot but it's straight at um Lucas Sadricki and yeah it hits it looks like it hits his own balls and then it goes between his leg and runs into the goal and that would just typified the way that that game was going i think another side or to to maybe give Leverkusen their just desserts on another day, they would have made more of that. But yeah, it's summed up for me where German football is at the moment in that Bayern are excellent and the other teams play very good football but just fall at the last stage when trying to take on Bayern. That game for me, that Pokal, it had all the feel um, of the the classica um, when we just came back where Dortmund dominated for large parts and Bayern just kept their cool and and picked them off at will. and, And that's what I think they did to to Leverkusen and yeah it was a very enjoyable final to watch um, and you can't criticize Bayern as we've said on this podcast before they play exceptional football you know they're coached the right way they do things the right way they've looked after their club for the last 30 years um and i personally believe it's because they get into the final stage of the Champions League every single year it gives them the ammunition to blow everybody else out of the water and you know i know that's unfortunate and i think we've got a question on that later so we could deal with that then. But um yeah, it was a really good game. Um and yeah, I did I did feel going into that that Leverkusen had a chance. Um and the chances they created on another day, they could have done it. But it was similar to last season, man, over the you know, the game that you were at against Leipzig. We all expected Leipzig to maybe play a lot better in that final against Bayern. They didn't. And of course the last team to really take it to them were Eintracht Frankfurt and Manu, you and I were in the stadium for that, and that was you know, a, an exceptional day out, um, a brilliant game to watch um, and, you know, a, a sting in the tail for Bayern. And teams have to be on their very best. And that's what Frankfurt were that day. I think they were on their exceptional best. Um, I think they played well through through both halves um, and, and got what they deserved, which was the trophy at the end of the day. And, and that's what a final is. You know, you, you get what you deserve. And, and Bayern won their 20th Pokal. And, yeah, they fully deserved it in the end.
0: I think too that I'm actually glad that you bring that up, Chris, because Frankfurt were so exceptional that day, and just not just the way they approached the game, but also they just finished the chances, and that's that's a parallel to Leipzig, to Leipzig, to Leverkusen. I was at that game last year where Manuel Neuer stood on his head and basically won Bayern the cup because he was exceptionally good. But Leipzig just weren't, weren't efficient. And that's really the bottom line, isn't it? If you play against Bayern, you cannot waste opportunities because you're not going to get a third, a fourth, a fifth. You know, the one opportunity you're going to get, you have to put away.
2: And Manu, you mentioned uh, earlier um, about uh, Alaba's goal. You know that that free kick. I mean, it, it was superb, wasn't it? It was uh, precision, really, from him. And uh, you know, just um, if, if we talk about him a little bit, I mean, many people talk about you, know, the other superstars in the side. You know, and you know, if they talk about defenders, it seems to go to Kimmich. Um, just how important is Alaba for Bayern, and how important do you feel it is? Maybe that they hold on to him. There's there's been talk that you know, he may part ways with them.
0: Well, the question is, is David Alaba going to renew his this contract, right? That's really the main question. It's not the question whether they're going to part ways with him or the question is whether he wants to stay. His contract is up in 2021. Um, he's 28. You know, we're going to talk another player in a moment, but we're, we're in a similar situation. The question really for David Alaba is, um, is this is it time to go out and find a new challenge and try something different? He's been for for Bayern almost his entire career, with the short exception of him um, having you know, been out on loan for Hoffenheim for, for one season. Um, other than that, he's basically continuously played for Bayern since 2011. That's nine years, right? And before that, he was um, two years with Bayern as well. And before that, he was in the academy. He's been with the club for a very, very long time. And I think if you're 28... You wonder, right? The next contract he's going to sign, um, the next contract is going to be a five-year contract. By the time it ends, he's going to be 33. Your your next experience is either retirement or a major league soccer, right? And that's, I think, where he's at. He's he's considering um, whether he wants to sign that next contract. And he wants a lot of money. He wants um, in the region of 20 million euros. So that's the kind of money that Lewandowski, Müller, Manuel Neuer receive. Um, I think not even Leroy Sané is on on that money and his new contract, right? So he wants a lot of money. As in terms of how important he is, is, I think he's very important. Uh, David Alaba is a very intelligent player. On his day, he's probably one of the best left backs in the world, maybe the best left back in the world. And he has turned into an amazing center back. I think he allows Bayern to play a possession style of game because of his intelligence out of the back. They signed an 80 million euro um, centre back, and Lucas Hernandez will basically become redundant because they moved David Alaba into that position. And then on top of that, David Alaba allows Alfonso Davies to play left back the way he plays left back because when Alfonso Davies moves forward, David Alaba can fill that role. And you see David Alaba mentoring Davies on the field. So you know all of these things are very very important to the club and. Really, I think the question with David Alaba, who's been very heavily linked to Manchester City, I personally can't see that move because we don't know what's going to happen with Manchester City and the uh, Champions League. But I can see him wanting to maybe play for Pep Guardiola um, or maybe in Spain for Real Madrid, because this is really the only clubs that he could go to. You know, he's already at a very big club. It's really just about a new experience. But I personally don't think that Bayern can afford letting David Alaba go. I think he is extremely important. And he's a youth academy player. He's the same same importance than Thomas Müller. He's from their own academy. They developed him. He identifies with the club. Um, yes, he's not Bavarian. He's Austrian. But culturally, there is a lot of strong connections between Austria and Bavaria. So the fans really identify with him. For me personally... They have to do everything to keep Alaba at the club.
2: Yeah, he really is a, a very um, skillful um, player and some, a hell of an addition to that squad. He's been fantastic uh, of late. Uh, but Chris, um, let's talk about a man that seems to be getting plenty of uh, headlines anyway um, over in the UK here with uh, being linked to Liverpool. And that's Thiago um, the midfield maestro at Bayern. Uh, there, there's plenty of talk about him uh, coming to our shores. Um, I, I mean, first of all, t- tell us a little bit about Thiago. I mean, there might be people tuning in, your Liverpool fans that want to know more about him that don't really know that much. And then tell us um, about the odds of him actually turning up for us.
1: Oh well I mean if you don't know much about Thiago um I, I would suggest maybe you don't really know much about football because okay he plays at Bayern he plays at Bayern in the Bundesliga but you know he showcased his talent um across Europe in the Champions League um, obviously won a hatful of trophies um at Barcelona when he was there he's come into the Bundesliga um is part of this wonderful side now he's won 7 um Bundesliga's, you know, so he's, he's an exceptional player, can play central midfield, can you know he, but he still retains that ability to play a little bit forward in a more of an attacking sense. And um he can play in that defensive midfield area. I mean for me personally I, I think his best positions are centrally or slightly um deeper in that defensive area. Um, yeah I mean well, all we've seen this past week and maybe a little bit further back is how much Bayern like him, how much they want to keep him, um, how much they've tried. It was really interesting for me watching um, the Pokal final um, on the weekend to see Karl-Heinz Rummenigge speak before um, and also Hansi Flick speak before the the match and say how much you know of a team player he is, how much he is part of that Bayern ethos and how much they'd really like to keep hold of him. Um, I don't think it's... Well, It's not a secret, it's the world's worst open secret. I think that he is now, Tiago's got to that point where he feels he would like a, a new challenge. Obviously, you know, as I said, played very well in, in Spain at Barcelona, won a Champions League with Copper Re, um, Reals, etc., um, league titles, and he's done the very same in, in Germany as well. Um, so you would suggest that if he'd played at the top of the game in Spain and he's played at the top of the game in Germany, then the next logical progression would be um to England. Um I'd say to the UK, but you know the Scottish League's not as strong. So it would be to come to the would be to come to England. Um and the likelihood of it happening, well, there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, from some very prominent journalists in across Europe about how a deal's been agreed um, between Thiago and Liverpool, um, but we can only go by what we've we've heard and the and from certainly from what I've heard, you know, it's no it's, once again it's no secret he'd like to leave. Um, I think Manu is well aware that all this talk of Liverpool seems to be coming from Thiago himself, um, how he'd like to join Klopp. Um, Liverpool have not made any move um, officially or unofficially as yet and where are we now? We're Tuesday, and I suppose Tuesday the 7th of July this is, and I suppose the rumours started to really take effect the uh, day or two before the Pokal final, so we're probably nearly you know, approaching half a week and, and nothing's really changed. Um, I mean, me personally, can I see it happening? I, I would say no, um, and I, I would say that because normally... You know, the past few years, Liverpool have liked to sign players that are um, young, youthful players. So under the ages of 25, I think Virgil van Dijk the only um, exception to that, but um, he was needed. Um, so I would say Thiago's his profile, he's a little too old. Um, he has been injured far too much, I think, to be playing a Klopp high possession system. Um, and I think he would command too high a wage because of everything he's done in his past. Um, and I can only go back to the Timo Werner situation where everybody, it looked like it was going to happen and then it didn't. Liverpool pulled out because of financial reasons. And if you're not going to spend 40 to 45 million pounds on a young striker, which is an area I think Liverpool needs to build on, I'm not sure why they pay 35 million for a 29 year old with a, a history of injury problems. To come into a midfield which you know they're already blessed with very talented midfielders. Now that's not to say it can't happen. I, I just think it would be a complete change of transfer stance from Liverpool. Um, I also think it's no secret. You know, Klopp says he likes him. He's spoken about him for many, many times. He spoke about him in the same sort of breath he spoke about Naby Keita before Naby Keita joined Liverpool. Um, he was asked this week about Tiago. Did he know anything about Tiago joining? And, and Klopp said. Well, even if he did, he wouldn't say anything. Um, and he said that, you know, he, he thinks Thiago is a great player, but he, he didn't go any further than that. The only thing that would make me think, Bryce, it could possibly happen is the usual suspects that surround um, Liverpool um, who would come out and, and say a deal had absolutely no chance, have, have either stayed quiet or have said there may be a possibility. And the club of late have tended to do things in private. Um, Fabino move in. nobody knew about that. Day after the Champions League final in Kiev, it was announced. Um, so it will be interesting one to know. I, I really, genuinely have no idea. But for me, it would be a complete shock um, if he joined Liverpool.
0: It's really coming from the player side, isn't it? Because that's where it's where it's leaked. And Thiago speaking out so openly to his teammates in the dressing room about this, and really making no secret out of it, and. We have had that in the past, right, Chris, that players have quartered Liverpool and then ended up somewhere else. I mean, Werner is a great example. For weeks, he's openly spoken about Liverpool and then ended up signing at Chelsea. So I think this is what people really have to keep in mind. It's really the player side pushing this.
1: Yeah, and of course, players... um, I'm not saying Thiago would do this because I genuinely believe that he wants to leave Bayern because he's achieved everything he can, um, pretty much. Um, And I think, you know, if he was to win the Champions League within this season, then he would have done that. So... Um, I think it would be natural for him to move on, but sometimes players like to use the possibility of moving to another club and and big clubs to to maybe get themselves a better deal. I can't really see it on this side. Um, so and and you know I'm with you. Everything that we've heard and everything that we've seen and certainly everything that I've read um, in the past week has been that Thiago would like to move to Liverpool. Well. I think I've said it before in this podcast, I'd really like a Porsche 911 GT3, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, guys,
2: if we get back to talking about Bayern and Leverkusen going forward, we've still got, as we mentioned, no domestic football, but we've got the Champions League and the Europa League returning. Uh, the Champions League will return on the seventh and eighth of August uh, to play the uh, the round of sixteen second legs. Uh, Manu, how do you feel? Um, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in the previous podcasts, but you know, now that we've got the uh, Pocal over us as well, you know, how do you feel about uh, Bayern's chances going forward? Now that you've seen a, another tough game and they've come through it.
0: The only thing that worries me is, and Chris mentioned it, is the, 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 the way Leverkusen was, explore, was able to explore the wide areas. But I think this Bayern side is for me the favorite to win the Champions League. Um, <laughs> to stay with the topic, Jürgen Klopp has said it's Manchester City or Bayern Munich for him. I think I very much agree. Uh, I've watched a, quite a few Manchester City games and they look good, uh, although um, they did stumble. I think it was against Southampton. So I'm not sure they they're quite as dominant as Bayern are. But um, to stay on topic, I mean they 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 released a schedule for how they're going to prepare for this this August tournament. Um, I spoke to the Alfonso Davies camp yesterday, and they told me that he's currently off on holiday. All the players are currently off on holiday for the next two weeks. Um, then they're going to start cyber training. They call it 21st and 22nd of July. That will include the new signings Leroy Sanier, Nübel, and Kuasi. Um, then they're going to do trainings in small groups from the 23rd to 25th of July. And then on 26th, they're going to start um, team training. Then they're going to play a friendly match to be determined. And then they're going to play that second leg against Chelsea, which, let's be honest, is pretty much another friendly match for them because they're up 3-0 um, from, from the away fixture. And, um <music> It has to take a lot for Chelsea to overcome Bayern, I think. So for them, that will be another preparation match and that will take place on August 7th, 8th. But right now, for the next two weeks, they're going to have um, some time off to, to put up their legs and relax and, um, you know, recover a little bit from what has been a very tough schedule for them.
2: Yes, indeed. And uh, Chris, uh, talking about uh, Bayer Leverkusen, they've still got the Europa League uh, to feature in. That returns on the fifth and sixth of August. Um, th- they still have the uh, the second uh, leg against Rangers, but uh, the three one up. Uh, how-, how do you feel? Not just about that leg, obviously, but um, how do you feel about their chances? Um, do you still be- do you think based on the Pokal final that they've still got plenty to offer in that competition?
1: Oh yeah, most definitely I do. Um- Purely because it's pretty much a home tournament for them. We discussed last week where it's going to be played. It's going to be played in and around the area of North Rhine-Westphalian, um, which is um, which is the, the home area for, for Bayer Leverkusen. So they're going to be on familiar territory, in familiar grounds that they know. Um, they're going to be in areas that they know. I think that plays into a lot, um, especially to the mental side. You do get that feeling of... Well, this is a home tournament for us, and, and maybe we can go and do that. And I know there are other German teams left in that, uh, most notably Wolfsburg, but it's not as home and in inverted commas as it will be. Um, I think Leverkusen have got the ability to go far in that competition. I, I, I personally, I think they're pretty much in the same sort of position um, that Bayern Munich are in with such a strong away performance. Um, you know, they winning three one in in Glasgow against Rangers. I don't think that. One goal will particularly do much. Um, Rangers haven't played football. Scottish football obviously finished without a conclusion to its season. Um, apart from Celtic being given champions points per game, etc. So I think that was that should be no problem for them. And then after that, it's all about the draw for me. How who they can avoid? I think if they can avoid the likes of Manchester United until a lot, you know, a lot deeper in that competition, maybe the 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 last four or even the final. Um, and then you've got a one-off game, and of course they're all one-off games, so Leverkusen will have to be at their very best, I think, to win that To win that whole tournament, um, and it will require exceptional amounts of concentration, some of which we saw in the Pokal final, um, some of which we didn't, and I've been fortunate enough to watch them quite a few times this season live, um, and I'll say what I say all the time, you don't know what you're going to get, but when they're on their day, they're very, very good, so I'm hoping for their sake they can be very very good for the next you know three four games and they can be um Europa League winners it would of course give them um an entry into the Champions League which I think is what the club would like and what the club need financially um so yeah I think the german sides in both those competitions should be um well balanced I mean just going very back quickly to Champions League I would love to see um a Bayern City final. I would love to have seen a Liverpool Bayern final for the last couple of Champions Leagues, but unfortunately it didn't happen. And um, We got a round of 16 double tie, um, but I would really like to see the best two teams in these competitions face each other, which for me I think would be Bayern against City. Yeah,
2: it'll be exciting once it comes round and we'll be reporting on the uh, build-up and throughout the competitions as we see German sides RB Leipzig, Bayern Munich Bayer Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, and Eintracht Frankfurt um, go through their European campaigns.
1: Brigade, he squares it. Oversteedson comes onto it. It's all over. Werder Bremen are going to survive. Heartbreak for Heidenheim. In stoppage time, Muller was left all alone, and as good as he is in goal, he couldn't stop it. Triumphant in the end, Florian Kofeldt. Crestfallen Frank Schmidt at a moment in the game when Heidenheim looked much more likely to go. And-,
2: and yes, that was one of the goals that um, seen Werder Bremen do it. They managed to stay in the Bundesliga. Uh, they left it rather late um, in the season to come good, but they've, uh, they've managed to pull off the miracle. Um, yeah, Chris, um, if, if we talk about Werder Bremen, um, obviously they, they finished the season on a high with uh, their rather large win over uh, Cologne. And then they went into this. The, the first leg was Pretty dire, Manu and I were uh, messaging uh, throughout saying about uh, a lack of shots on goal. Uh, and the, the second tie was a little bit more lively. And it was that first 15 minutes where we've seen Verder uh, Bremen come out. And to be honest, I thought Heidenheim were in for a hiding. Uh, Chris, um, uh, how do you feel after seeing them? I mean, it's two draws, uh, maybe not the most convincing, but they've got the job done.
1: Yeah, they did get the job done, and and that's all. That history will now show is that they, you know, completed the um, they completed the 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 route back, or the, let's just say they they were able to stay in the Bundesliga. That's all that will matter now. Um, Heidenheim, yeah, I think they will probably rue that opportunity where I don't think Werder Bremen played particularly well in that first leg. Had they, you know, got themselves a um, a, a decent away goal. You know this game would have would have been settled in the most dramatic of circumstances with a last second penalty. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't to be. I think it's probably the right result, and and I say that with a heavy heart because um, I do like Heidenheim um, and I, I particularly like Frank Schmidt, and I've talked about him a lot in this podcast, so I won't you know go over old ground. But I just think it would have been a little too much. For Heidenheim, they would have um, they would have been spanked, I think, in the Bundesliga, a little like Paderborn were, and possibly even worse. I think they could have had a a worse showing than what Paderborn did, and and no one would want to see that because they are a good side, and I think they belong in the top twenty, top twenty five sides in Germany, and there's no um, there's no shame in that. There, it's a very small town, Heidenheim. Um, I think it's got round about fifty thousand people in it, um, so it's not a particularly big town. Frank Schmidt's obviously been there um since the world was formed. You know, he's been there that long. They they're a really good fit. And I think them finishing third in, in Bundesliga two, um, which puts them, you know, the twenty-first team, twenty best twenty-first team in Germany, I, I think that's great for them. Um if they're gonna go up, they're gonna have to do it the the hard way through automatic promotion, I think, because this just summed up for me what the what the promotion relegation playoff is like. I think sometimes the third place team is just a little too weak. I know we saw last season um, Union Berlin um, book that trend, but I think that's because Union Berlin are a good side and they've proven that this season in the Bundesliga. So, um, yeah, but for Werder Bremen, I was a little concerned, Bryce, before for them before the game kicked off because they brought out a special shirt for what, what is effectively a final and... Um, that rarely goes well. I think back to two thousand and one Europa or, or UEFA Cup final where Alaves brought out a very nice shirt with the names of every single season ticket holder on it, um, and they were beaten by an own goal. So it doesn't it doesn't go well for them sometimes. But yeah, I mean, Werder Bremen are a very good side. They're one of the oldest in the league, um, and it'll be nice to see them back there. And it'll be nice for me to go back there next season. Very easy to fly into. Very easy to get around. Lovely city. Great stadium, great club. So on the whole, I'm personally happy. Yeah,
2: that's it. Um, you know, Frank Smith, as you said, um, he's been at the club since uh, 2007, you know, and it's, it's, um, it is it is a shame for him, but it's a hell of an achievement for Heidenheim. And I must say, your credit to the kitchen staff as well, which they uh, have made sit in the stand and be the band uh, throughout. So they brought out their pots and pans and they did have it as a very lively atmosphere. Um, you, you would tune in and almost think that there was a crowd there. Uh, so, so credit to... To Heidenheim, uh, unfortunately, just uh, it wasn't to be this time. So, Manu, let, let's talk about uh, Werder Bremen um, a little bit. Uh, well, I suppose what next for them? Um, they're obviously going to have to make a few adjustments. Um, Kofeld you know, will be looking to probably bring in new faces, get rid of other faces. But that money is going to be a little bit challenging, isn't it? Especially uh, with um, a few,
0: well, a few bills more or less that they have to pay now that they're staying in the Bundesliga. Yeah, you're quite right. I mean, this is. <laughs> let me let me get this straight. Um, first before we continue with this, but relegation would have been a lot more expensive than what I'm listing now. But yeah, I mean, um, staying in the league didn't come for free either. Um, they had a deal. They had Umar Toprak on loan from Borussia Dortmund, and it's uh, with a clause that they had to buy him. Um, basically the moment that they stayed in the league. So yesterday. Uh, Toprak became a permanent Werder Bremen player that cost him €4 million. Euros. And they also had Leonardo Bittencourt um, on loan from Hoffenheim. And uh, he had a €7 million Euro clause that became permanent the moment Werder Bremen stayed in the league. So that's €11 million Euros gone. And that's quite a bit of money um, for a team like Werder Bremen. Because they you know, they already went into the season with a, with a deficit on the, on the market of uh 17 million, uh, sorry, um 15 million euros. So that's, that's quite a, quite an additional amount of money that you're going to have to put on top of that. And that means that you know, there's not a lot of, lot of wriggle room to really change the squad. On top of that, you have players like Martin hanek coming back from H- Hamburg as far. No one, I know we're going to talk about Hamburg in a moment, but no one knows what's really happening with them. Right? So, I think they will have to take a long and hard look at the squad and decide which players they want to keep, which players they want to sell. Um, I looked at their squad size just now on Transfermarkt price and they have 38 players on the book for the first team. And that's too many. You, know, you can probably cut down a good 14 because they're only playing in one competition and they don't need that many players on the books. and I think the most obvious choice right now, and we'll talk about this one probably for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, is Milo Drashika. What's going to happen with him? Um, I know there was interest for, for him in England. Um, there was interest from RB Leipzig. There is, um, interest for him from Hertha Berlin. The big question though is now, of course, they, they fought off relegation and releg, the relegation clause was 15 million euros. Although there was some doubt whether that relegation clause was still active or not, because, um, rumor has it that it expired on June 15th. I mean, th- this is one of those things, these legal gray areas. Um, I mean, we, we talked about a similar case with John Kevin Augustine from, who was on loan from Leipzig to Leeds and, Leeds basically returned him now, right? And saying we don't need to buy him. But, um, Leipzig is saying, okay, once, once you're promoted, you have to buy him, right? So this is a similar kind of thing. What would have happened if Werder had actually gone down? Um, but now his exit clause, um, apparently has expired, um, because the season ended late. So it's all open to negotiation. And I think this is a player that they would very much like to keep, but it's also one of those things. I mean, how do you make changes to a squad that has the size of theirs? How do you cut players? How do you bring in new players without money? And I think um, they will have to take a look at someone like Rashika and say, well, oh, this is our golden cow. Maybe it's time that we, we cash in on it.
2: Yeah it it's going to be an interesting time for Werder Bremen and just before we move on from them Chris what about Thorian Kofeld I mean do you feel that he's going to stay in position I mean it's been a rough all year for them do you see him being their coach at the start of the next season
1: Mm good question um I think that their decision not to sack him uh, has been vindicated because it did look like they were going to go down. Um, I mean, pretty much from, you know, before the winter break, around about, I think it was match day 16, um, they entered that um, bottom three and they stayed there um, until the very, very last game. Um, And, you know, they were pretty much nailed on to go down as part of the bottom two until that last mad performance against Cologne mixed in with um, Dusseldorf slip-up against Union Berlin. So, Werder Bremen could have sacked him before then. I think we saw Hoffenheim terminate, you know, their coach um, before the, the season, just before the season had finished. And I think they made the right decision in doing that because they're now straight into the group stages of the Europa League. And I think for Werder Bremen it was quite similar. If they were going to get rid of felt who would come in, who could fill that gap, who could get the team going, um, in order to escape relegation. I personally feel that if they'd sacked him, I don't think they would have got out that last-day performance, um, I think the squad and I think the team that he's built there um, performed for him. Because earlier on in the season, I thought they were playing some good football. I mean, I was there when um, they were um, they were tanked um, by Leipzig 3-0. I was in the Stadium for that. Um, but they still played good football. I was there for the game against Augsburg, the home game before, um, when they won 3-2. Augsburg gave them a little bit of a scare, but they still played some good football. Um and for me it was round about well, it was it was round about that time when they got um they got battered by Bayern and they seemed to go into free fall after that. Um and sometimes that happens, but I would have expected them to, to pull out. And for me, if they get rid of Florian and Kofelt, who comes in that can do, you know, the same job or a better job? Because I don't just think the problems are coaching, I think the problems are throughout um the squad. Manu's already mentioned the size of that. I think there's there's some problems within the club at a deeper level as well, um, and they should be doing a lot better really. Um, and if they hadn't sacked him already, um, I, I don't know when they when they will. They they may get him in. They may have a talk um, this week about what's going on, where, what went wrong in the season, and and how it can be fixed. And that's up for then for Kofell to be able to convince his bosses about how he can turn it around. And if he can convince them. He'll maybe be given the first six games of next season. If he can't convince them in that presentation, then he'll be let go. And that's something we see every season. Um, But for me, I think they were vindicated and they made the right choice short term by not sacking him. Whether he can convince them long term is a different matter. Yeah,
2: as I said, it's going to be interesting times at Werder Bremen. We'll just have to see what happens over the next few weeks or months before that September restarts. Yes, that was a rather lively tune this week. Um It was the Bayer Leverkusen goal song. So, um uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. And, yeah, it definitely gets gets the energy going doesn't it and we're going to talk about um, Hamburg now Uh, as Manu mentioned uh, there's there's plenty to discuss uh, with them as always Uh, so they they missed out on the uh, on promotion, they missed out on the uh, playoff um, the final as well, finishing fourth for the second season in a row that meant that they did part ways with their coach Dieter Hecking and yes once again it means that they've changed coaches that's four in two years um this time they've managed to um hire um someone from Osnabrück. um you may not be familiar with him but we're gonna we're gonna fill you in a little bit and that's uh, Daniel thion and yes he's um as I mentioned another coach to come into Hamburg but he's the first german-born black coach in any of Germany's football professional divisions so so yeah um Manu, well, what exactly um can you tell us um about uh Theon um he, he was obviously with the uh, Osnabrück, uh, he got them promoted, and they finished their 13th this season,
0: which is uh, f- fantastic
2: work for a newly promoted side. But what what are Hamburg getting
0: here? Well, hopefully they're going to get someone who lasts more than one year, and <laughs> I think that would already be a major success for them. <laughs> it's, I mean, before we start talking about Daniel Theon, we have to we have to really emphasize this because Dieter Hacking was a coach who has made every club he's ever worked in better. He goes to Hamburg and it's another other failure for Hamburg. And the result is another new coach coming in. And you almost feel a little bit for Daniel Theron, um for taking on this task. And it is a huge task. You know, it is, it's a, it, it is a massive task and it's a big step from going to Osnabrück to Hamburg. Hamburg is Germany's second largest city. It is a big place. Um, I spent quite a bit of time there because that's where the Transfermarkt headquarters is. I know you, Chris, you and I spent time there last this this um, mm-hmm. earlier this spring before the world went sideways because of COVID. And it is a huge city. It is a big place and it's a place that has not doesn't have a team in the first division right now, which in the history of Hamburg, we all know, because when Hamburg as far went down, that was the first time in their history that it went down. And we all expected them to bounce back, right? Now, three years in a row, they kind of mucked it up on either the second last or the last um, match day. They mucked it up and now they're going to face a third year in the Bundesliga too. Um, So that's that's the sort of task that Daniel Mustafa Tion is facing right now. Um, And for him, I think it is an incredible opportunity to go to a club and become a savior of a whole city and of an entire region. Because if Werder had gone down, uh, Wolfsburg would have been the most northern club in German football. Just imagine that, right? So for that, um, I think this is the sort of task he faces. Is he up to it? I think that if you come from a background that he's come and I know that Jonathan Harding has done a wonderful piece on him on Deutsche Welle. So please go check that out. It's a fantastic piece. He's actually went to Osnabrück. I think this is now a year and a year and a half, maybe two years ago and spoken to Daniel Tion and um the challenges that Tion has faced as a black person living in Europe. And I mean, I know this is a huge topic just right now in general and Um, Germany might not be the United States, but very much has his own problems. So for him to come up through the ranks and turn Osnabrück into a Bundesliga side, be it a Bundesliga two-side, but turn him into a Bundesliga two-side, a team with almost no money, is a massive accomplishment. So I think if he's successful at Hamburg, that will be groundbreaking. Because it would mean promotion and it would mean the first black-born German coach, I think first black coach period in in the Bundesliga. But Chris and I are very much have covered Hamburg for now a few years. And I think that the biggest obstacle to the club's success isn't what's happening in the coaching round. It's not what's going on in terms of who they're bringing in, in terms of players. It's not even the financials. When you compare Hamburg as far as financial to the, the rest of Bundesliga 2, their gap to the rest of the league is as big as Bayern's is to the rest of the Bundesliga. They should have walked that league financially, right? And now they're facing, because now this is their third year, they will face massive cuts. And I think this is a time where the city of Hamburg, Hamburger SV, have to reflect and maybe look at this club and, and come up with something brand new. And they will have to give Daniel Thion every single opportunity to transform this club into what they can be potentially. Because if Bayern Munich, you know, in Munich, the South the Southern equivalent of Hamburg can be what they are, then Hamburg should be too. And then in the 80s they were. They were a Champions League or Europa League winning or Euro- European Cup winning um side, right? So uh, for me it's not really to maybe sum it up, it's not really about what can Tion do, who is he as a person. Because he's a phenomenal coach, he's a phenomenal person. He has face the biggest obstacles you can possibly face to make it to where he's gone. Hamburg is such a different beast, though, and I think it's going to be extremely difficult for him.
1: Right, I think Manu's brought up a, a great point there. For me, covering um, Hamburg from from a distance um, and um, not having any sort of emotional investment um, in the club and just being able to, to watch it from afar is the, the biggest problem that Hamburg have got is is their history and man is quite right Champions League winners or European Cup winners you know six-time champions of Germany three times Pokal winners they were even winners of the old European Cup Winners Cup this is a team with a lot of history and a lot of um, a lot of prior success and it's been a long time since they've had that success really and that that becomes a shadow around the club. And, and it's one of the reasons, I think, why they've had so many coaches in, in so many years. I think, I mean, if you look back just to Heidenheim, who were in that final uh, or in the playoff, um, I think they've had one coach where Hamburg have had 10. I mean, that you know, that shows the, the scale of Hamburg's problems. Um, you know, there are, it's a man who's already said it's a big city. It's got a lot of history. It's a fantastic stadium. It, you know, it's, it's a um, financially stable area it really should be looking at having a top four side um and it's got all the ingredients to have that top four side and i think that's the problem with it is is the ambitions and 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 the wants and the needs of people associated with the club and they need to now take a step back and be and and realize who they are and what they are they're a club that flirted with relegation for 3 4 seasons eventually bit the bullet and now they've been relegated for what will be 3 seasons they can't trade off that old name they need to go completely back to rebuilding um the club and rebuilding their name and i think this is a good move for them they're bringing in a coach with um with good pedigree you know you've already mentioned what he's done in the past um the fact how he's done it almost coaching you know in in a time where um it's not been possible and and he's come through all those Um, hurdles, he's overcome all those obstacles and and this could be a really good time for Hamburg, but they'll have to give him that time. Um, Interesting that I think he's only signed a a two year deal um, until June 2022. That gives him ample time, a couple of transfer windows maybe, and it gives him ample time to to put his style of play over it. But I would think he's going to need more than that. Not to get them promoted, I think he's probably got the ability to get them promoted. A man who's already mentioned their wages. They outspend everybody on wages, I think, by almost 75% more. That's the financial pull the club have got. But if they want to get back to being a top 10, top 6 side, it's going to take four, five, six seasons. And they're going to need to stick by a coach because it might go well for one season. They might get promoted and then they might finish 14th, 15th. That is not a reason to sack him. It's a reason to stay with him and, and see they can build on that and not just 6 games into the next season. So it's going to be a real... It's going to be a real journey into the unknown for hamburg and i hope that they've got the um the ability to stick with it
0: it's it's a little comparable maybe to birmingham right chris to give like english listeners a little bit of a of a parallel with aston villa
1: yes but yes but i mean yeah it is you know aston villa are a very famous side You know, won the champions league or european cup as it was beat by munich at the time um and they've they won the league as well. They pushed Liverpool very close and, and Everton very close in the years where those two teams were, were ebbing it off each other and they you know they were a major pain in Nottingham Forest neck in the time that um they were on top. So yeah, they are they are a, a side with a lot of history and and, and a lot of success. Um, I would put Hamburg on a on a higher pedestal than, than, than Villa though, because of what they've won domestically. Yeah, but in size
0: of cities, right? Birmingham being like the second oh, city Yeah, yeah in size.
1: Yeah. But yeah, yeah, with that being the second city. Yeah, most definitely. And um, and yeah, obviously, Aston Villa are the 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 biggest club in Birmingham. Birmingham City fans won't like that, but um, but yeah, that that's true. I suppose yeah, that is very good. Or another team would be like Newcastle, who um, consistently underachieve, which I think is what Hamburg do.
2: Yeah, well, we wish uh, Theon uh, all the best. And yeah, it would be a little bit like what we mentioned previously about uh, Berlin. It would be nice to have um, one of the big cities um, like that. You know, have a club that's really pushing on, pushing uh, forth, you know, and become, you know, a, a real footballing force. But um, yeah, let, let's see if he can just hold the job down for a year first. That would be a, a hell of an achievement, I think. But, um, yeah, Chris, um, we talked uh, just before we came onto to the podcast today um, about the possibility of fans being allowed back in the stadiums. Uh, what, what exactly is this news and will they have to be quiet?
1: <laughs> yes. So there's uh, been reports in the German press this morning as we record this um, that fans are going to be allowed back into stadiums starting um, in the new season. Um, Leipzig, I've got the go-ahead, I believe. Uh, for fans to enter the RB Arena. Um, But a little like what we saw over here with the opening of pubs, I don't quite think politicians get what football's all about because over here in the UK, the pub's opened and they're allowed to show the football, um, but they've been told by the government to turn the sound down because that will stop people shouting and screaming if they see a goal. Well, you know, if I'm watching a game of football and my team's playing, it doesn't matter... Whether there's music on, whether the commentary's on, or whether it's completely silent. If my team scores, I'm going to shout and I'm going to cheer. And a similar sort of things being said today um, by German politicians, they would like fans in the stadium, you know, not to cheer, not to shout, um, not to sing, because it, you know, it helps spread um, the particles from your mouth over a wider area and therefore heighten the possibility of transmission of of, of the coronavirus. Um, yeah, whilst it would be great to have fans back in, I don't think politicians understand what football is. It's a passion. And if you're in a stadium and you see your team score, you're going to say something about it. You're going to be happy. You're going to hug the person next to you or you're going to shout at the person two two rows in front of you if we're socially distanced. Um, yeah, it, it can't be this halfway house. Um, I think the way some other leagues have done it, which is separated by three, four seats and two rows. I I could see that working. Um, But asking people not to shout um, is is pretty ludicrous for me. And it it shows the disconnect that politicians have across the world um, between what their sense of reality is and what the actual reality of the people that they're supposed to govern is. Yeah, I must say, I don't really... Get how that works. You know, if,
2: if you're into football, you're going to be passionate about your side. It just, that doesn't float for me. But, uh, let's see how, um, how it goes in the coming months and what's, uh, what happens, eh? Um, guys, time to go for our Twitter questions then. We've been doing our best to try and go through the questions that you guys, have um, throw to us. Um, but today we have three. So we're going to start off with, uh, Manu on this one. Um, Cyrus, he asked, do you see Bremen selling any of their young talent? to offset high wages
0: that's a very good question and um, I would like to ask back which young talent do you see that they can afford to sell I think that one of the big things that Werder had sort of struggled with is that they haven't really produced that many young talents yes there's the Egerstein brothers uh, Johannes and Maximilian and uh, maybe clubs will come in for them, especially Maximilian, who was a German national team player, right? Um, there's probably a market for him. But can Werder really afford to sell him? Um, can they afford to, to get let go of some of these players? It's a really great question. I think the the easy answer for Werder is to sell Milo and cut loose some of the, the contracts. And it will cost him a lot of money. But um, I think that is really the way to go about this.
2: Yeah, that's it. Maybe we need a follow-up question in uh, coming pods as to who exactly they think they can, uh, or suggest they can sell. But um, Chris, we'll go to you for the uh, next one. We've got a niche asks, uh, Emery Chan's impact at Dortmund. Does he look like a natural fit, or is there still a level of adjusting to do? Has he found his best position?
1: Yeah, it's another good question. Um I think Emre Chan has settled into life in Dortmund very well. Um I was there for some of his his early games before um before obviously we were stopped from travelling, etc. Um yeah, I, I thought um I thought he played very well. Obviously he scored a, a fantastic goal against Bayer Leverkusen um in the ground um away from home. I, I was there for that game, I had a wonderful view of the goal and sat almost right behind it on the side in a press box. Um, and I thought he played very well in those defensive midfield areas. And then after that, his sort of his place in the squad coincided with a decent run that Dortmund put together. Um, you know, they beat Frankfurt 4-0, then they beat Bremen, um, Freiburg, which is always a difficult team to beat, um, even when it's at home um, in the West Valorstadion. They, they played well. He, he didn't play a game against Schalke when they came back. Um, he was injured. Um, but... When he was straight back into the side after that, albeit as you he know, um, only played half the game, but they won that, um, I think he, he's done very well. He, you know Where he's played, he's played a mixture of um, defensive midfield and, and centre-back for the majority of his time at Dortmund. Um, and I think he gives Lucien Favre the ability to, to chop and change his side. Where does he play, Chan? The, the, the real quality that I think Emre Chan's got is he can play centre-back as a as a as a ball playing midfielder. Um I use the example of Javier Mascherano who played centre back at Barcelona but was a, a ball playing centre back as a midfielder traditionally. And I think that's allowed his game to, to go up. And me personally, I think he's best in that defensive midfield area or maybe even slightly better in that central midfield, what I think you call a traditional eight, um number eight. Um I I would think he'd be very good at that. So I think he's found the right place for him. Um, I think he played very well when he was at Liverpool. Um, he could have stayed at Liverpool. That's no secret. And he chose to move on um, and take a new challenge. Uh, Juventus didn't work out for him. Um, and he's come back to Germany and, and he's playing some very good football at Dortmund. So, yes, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on the start of next season, um, how he gets on pre-season. But I think he, he's found the right fit for him uh, at Dortmund. And I think he can be a real crucial part um, to that squad as, as we went into the final games when he came back. I mean, he played um, He played pretty much the whole game against Paderborn, Hertha, Dusseldorf, um, Mainz and Leipzig and was only missing for the final game of the season um, through yellow card suspension. And, and obviously they were battered uh, by Hoffenheim. So was his absence key to that defeat Discuss. So I think for me, he's found the right place um, at the right club at the right time.
2: And that brings us to our final question, uh, which we'll go uh, back to uh, Manu for. Uh, we've got Andrew Golub um, asks, uh, Will Stuttgart be able to stay up for the foreseeable future, unlike last time, 7th, then down? And if they sack their coach, who would you want to take over? Um, it's a bit of a negative t- t- tweet, is it not, as they've just been promoted. Uh, Manu, how, how do you feel about Stuttgart?
0: I think two years ago when we did this, um, when Stuttgart were in the Bundesliga, we talked a lot about them and how they really underperform um, in so many ways. Stuttgart is a large city. It's a city that has a strong industrial past In Daimler are uh, right outside the stadium. Um, they are a club that, in my opinion, could do so much better <laughs> than than they are doing, and some some strong parallels to Hamburg, really, and uh, in some regards also to Berlin. I think that they really have to try to get stabilized in the Bundesliga, because if you become a yo-yo club, that's a very dangerous path to go down. And if you stay on that path, it's very hard. Um, you know, you become a Hanover very quickly, and I don't think that's that would do that club and the city justice. As for the coach, I mean, Pellegrino Matarazzo, we have to outline this actually. This is the, he's the first American born coach in the Bundesliga. So congrats to him. I know David Wagner has played for the US national team, but was born in Germany and culturally is definitely more German than American. But uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo now becomes the first uh, US born head coach in German football. We probably on this pod thought it would become Jesse Marsh, right? But then Stuttgart um, rebounded very quickly and managed to get, uh, managed promotion. I think that when you look at their squad, there's a lot of talent there. Uh, I think when you look at the people that work behind the scenes, uh, people like Minslav, who helped Jurgen Klopp build Borussia Dortmund. Um, When you look at Thomas Hitzelsberger, who's now running the club, I think he is a a great person as well with a lot of knowledge. And I think there's all the right people in place to make this a success. And um, having navigated back into the Bundesliga... It's going to be a great foundation for them. And I look at the squad, you know, I look at this team, the team that they have built. Um, the average age is only 24.3. There's a lot of very interesting names in this team, like Nicolas Gonzalez, the young Argentine striker. Um, Silas Vamangituku, who we have to get used to. And it's going to be a nightmare for you, Bryce, on this podcast. Um, which will be a good sign, right? Because it means he's getting along well. And I think that is, um, I think there is a very strong foundation there. And I would like, I really, really, really genuinely want Stuttgart to do well in the Bundesliga because I think this is a club with a lot of potential.
2: Yeah, another big side that would be nice to uh, have a feature regularly in the uh, Bundesliga, and yeah, you know, bring on these awkward names. I I love butchering, you know, a a new uh, player or coach, you know. So so yeah, bring it on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that more or less um, does it um, from us um, today on the uh, podcast, Um, but but also domestically this season, it's all done, it's all wrapped up. Uh, We will be back in the coming weeks, uh, obviously to follow the German sides as they go into the. Uh, the Champions League and the Europa League, and uh, we'll, we'll 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 try and um, try and um, hopefully get a bit of success there. it would Be nice for us to report back. And you know, as Chris uh, mentioned, having uh, Bayern Munich get to the Champions League final would be a uh, would be great news for us all. But uh, that more or less does it. Uh, we'll be back before you know it. Uh, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn, and I'll feed us in.
1: Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic-flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds, and because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now.